plane's been waiting for Rankin <laughs> to release his frustration. <laughs> if I can change, and he can change, we all can change. <laughs> Hearts on fire, strong desire. Welcome to episode 40 of the Presequential Podcast, where we go from 1 to 45 and under 90 and discuss the life, legacy, and little-known facts about every American president. I'm Ryan, joined by Blaine and our producer and vice presidential quote-unquote expert, Russ. Good to have you guys with us for episode 40. We were just talking beforehand. How have we done 40 of these? Uh, Well, and it may not be 45, as we've discussed. We'll have to figure that out. Yeah. And it might as well just get it out there now for everyone. There's... (laughs) Based on our research, probably not going to be able to find a good book for 45. <laughs> that's a future us problem to yeah, figure yeah, out. Yeah, it is. And we will yeah. figure and it out And we did for break you. the rules on 44. Yeah, that's right. We did. So, because yes. it, it, it was hard enough as it was. And so, just as a heads up. Yeah. But tonight uh, is a very exciting night. Yeah, it is. And before <laughs> because we dive there's in. very few polarizing figures in presidential history. <laughs> very few. <laughs> as much as Ronald Reagan. Yeah. Uh, Before we dive in, we want to give a shout out to all of our patrons across the country who've helped to make this episode possible. And if you want to join that Patreon community, you can do so at patreon.com slash presequential for just five bucks a month. All right, Blaine, you teased it a little bit there. Tell everybody what we're drinking, what book we read, and uh, what we're calling this episode on Ronald Reagan. All right. So the book we read was Reagan, An American Journey by Bob Spitz. Could not confirm whether or not he was related to the swimmer. Uh, although I have a funny story about Mark Spitz. Okay. The, just a quick aside, my college uh, track and field coach, John McNichols, RIP, uh, he was roommates with Mark Spitz at IU. Huh. Oh. And there was a time we were at conference at Northern Iowa. And I think it's like Waterloo. No, it doesn't matter. It's in some dumpy town in Northern Iowa. <laughs> and we were at dinner as a team, and we were talking about different celebrities we had met. And he just nonchalantly was like, Seen Mark Spitz naked. <laughs> like, oh my. What? He was like, Yeah, I was my roommate for two years yeah. in college. Um, just wearing all the gold medals, <laughs> just totally naked though. So, uh, so Reagan and American Journey by Bob Spitz. It yeah. was written in 2018. It is 761 pages. And, and it our felt total like it too. Tally is. Yeah, 19,116. Hmm. I think we're going to eclipse 20 with... Uh, you think? Yeah. With four books to go and one of them being large print Obama? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm thinking in my mind because Obama... I still have to read Obama. So I'm... Yes, you're right. We do. We're, we're gonna, definitely eclipsing 20,000. Probably by HW... Or yeah. sorry, by W. Yeah. Because Clinton wasn't very long. So this episode's called The Actor. Nice. Oh. That was and, my theory of what you were going to name it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you'll you'll find out why if you don't know anything about Ronald Reagan. For this episode, uh, once again, you'll find out why very shortly. We are drinking old-style beer. Old-style, the beer of the bleachers in Wrigley Field. I've never had it. I'm intrigued. I can't imagine you're going to like it, and I'm real excited <laughs> about that. I like old-style, but it does yeah. come... It's better when you're sitting in the bleachers of sure. Wrigley Field, sure, and yeah. it's in a plastic cup that you're putting into another empty plastic cup. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's a hundred percent. It is. There's nothing special about it. There is just, it is just the like mystique of Riz- yeah. Wrigley and the bleachers. Yeah. Yeah. I like, guess really the only time you would buy it unless you're doing a podcast on Ronald Reagan. When you find out <laughs> what, you know, his first couple jobs out yeah, of college. And it makes sense. So well, cheers, cheers boys. boys. First sip. It's fine. Yeah. I think it's fine. Yeah. We'll see how it tastes though. After That's their slogan. I think Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> we came up. Well, this might make people mad. Earlier today, a friend of mine said he was in Missouri, and he was like, "Not by choice. I'm here for a school." And I was like, "That's a bumper sticker, Missouri. Not by choice. <laughs> not by choice." Uh, what do you guys remember about Reagan from uh, growing up? Oh, uh, chimpanzee. Yeah. Uh, make America Great Again. Mm. Original. Let's see. Tear down this wall. Yeah. Obviously, acting. Uh, win one yeah. for the Gipper. Okay. And Nancy. Okay. Russ, what about you? Uh, he said a lot. Air traffic controllers. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Alzheimer's. Yes. Hollywood commie hunter. Okay. All right. Yeah. I remembered his assassination attempt and uh, that he liked jelly yeah. beans. Well, there was the balloon one where the balloon popped. He was like, miss me. Miss me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He liked jelly beans. He loved jelly beans. We'll get into it. Yeah, he did. There's a really funny story. This is putting the cart before the horse a little bit. It just kind of explains a little bit about what we're going to get into with Reagan when he sure. walks into the White House like for the first time and they're picking like portraits and things. He saw a picture of Grover Cleveland. And he was like, I played him in a movie once. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, no, 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 no. That was the baseball player. <laughs> Oh, okay. Uh, well, you guys want to dive in? Here we go. We got a uh, two-term president, so we're going to keep it cruising. Thank you for joining us, by the way. We hope that you're enjoying this episode already. All right, let's dive in. I'm Ron. so excited. Yes. I just want to say I'm so excited about this, this family. episode. Family was originally the Oregons. Oregon. Oregons. From, from uh, Ireland, right? Sure. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> uh, Ronald Wilson Reagan was born on February 6, 1911 in the tiny town of Tampico, Illinois. To Nell and Jack Reagan. He had an older brother, Neil, who was nicknamed Moon, and uh, he was born in 1908. Well, that's some foreshadow. Whoa. They didn't even realize it. Is that uh -huh. right? That's yeah. wild. I know. He was actually born with his umbilical cord wrapped around his neck. Yeah. And he almost didn't make it, but also could explain some of the like brain issues later in life. Well, that's also Whoa. a little foreshadowing. <laughs> long-term effects. <laughs> Maybe it's a foreshadowing to the chimpanzee that you mentioned, which we'll get to around the, the early 1950s. His dad referred to him as a fat little Dutchman. <laughs> uh, which is why he was called Dutch. Well, he also had haircuts that were, they're called the Dutch boy style haircut. If you've seen one of those like Lego guys with the helmet of it's hair like, on it. like a bull uh, cut. Yeah. The dude from Dumb and Dumber. Yes, yeah. Lloyd Christmas. Yeah. When he was older, he actually asked people to call him Dutch because he didn't feel that Ronald was rugged enough. Yeah, because so, Dutch. Yeah, right. Really. Oh, I'm scared of that guy. <laughs> so he's nine years old, and the Reagans moved from Tampico to Dixon, Illinois, uh, in north central Illinois. And he always considered Dixon his hometown. It was important to know that his parents were ardent Democrats. His dad was a raging alcoholic, and that was something that ran in his family. But his parents, ardent Democrats, mm -hmm. as was Ronald, uh, up yep. to a certain point in his life, which That's we right. will cover he gets glasses in 1924 which completely transforms his life so he just had no idea he just assumed that's what the world looked like yeah and he got just glasses blurry. So, yeah he's he was going like, into wow. high school and he gets glasses and he's like i can see clearly now <laughs> tampico <laughs> illinois so uh he graduates from dixon high school in 28 he participated very conservative town yeah not welcoming of his super liberal family correct uh, uh, they were like really he hated the kkk he hated all kinds of discrimination because they were catholic so you know the right. world changes for him yeah. at some point uh he played basketball he was into drama ran uh track and played football and in a bit of foreshadowing he also served as student body president in and he school. was a lifeguard uh, at this local watering hole. Yes, he was. And he became this local hero because he saved kids' lives because it was not a safe watering hole. One of the people's lives he saved was James Benton Parsons, who would go on to become the country's first African-American federal judge. 
Oh. And they had a conversation like where he was like, weren't you? Wait a second. He's like, let me tell you a story. And he's like, well, I used to lifeguard at the Rock River. You don't say. And they put two and two together that it was like him that ended up, you know, saving him. Yeah. Over the next seven summers, he saved 77 people's lives as a lifeguard. All at the same watering hole? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He went on to Eureka College. Great Scott. (laughs) A small liberal arts school. Even to this day, there's only about 600 students enrolled at Eureka. He got on because he worked at the college library, I believe. And he was the last man on the football team, the very last person selected to play football. And then he was elected as freshman to lead the campus strike. Yeah. Like, it's important to set the ground of how, like, liberal Ronald Reagan was. Yeah. Like, he was ardent union. Yeah. He led a college student strike as a freshman, Mm -hmm. and they had him give the speech announcing the strike yeah his first public speech was in the chapel at eureka college and i think they've got like a plaque there or something to this day but uh while he's there he's playing football he's swimming uh he gets into drama his sophomore year he once again served as student body president and he would eventually graduate in 1932 a fun fact about eureka that i found uh, while i was doing some research it was the third college in america to admit men and women on an equal basis. And it was really tied... I doubt that. I don't doubt that they claim that. I doubt that it was actually an equal oh. basis. Oh. Oh, I see. Oh, admissions <laughs> were on an equal yes. basis. Not 50% men, 50%. And it was, it was tied to the Disciples of Christ Church, which in the Midwest, it's, it's a big denomination just based on how it all kind of trickled down to the Midwest historically. They have 12 board of directors. Yeah. Their mascot <laughs> is called the Red Devils, though. For I thought oh. that was quite ironic for a religious... Uh, a religiously yeah. affiliated institution to have that as the mascot. Huh. Anyway, yeah, he's really into FDR's rhetoric around this time. You said he was a committed Democrat. That really influenced his public speaking style. And in 1932, at the end of the year, he was hired as a temporary staff announcer at radio station WOC in Davenport, oh. Indiana. Hold on, you or missed Iowa. one. Iowa. Iowa. Uh, <laughs> you missed one. His actual first job was he would announce Cub scores <laughs> via a megaphone. Uh, <laughs> from anyone? like the second story of this like newspaper building. So anytime they would score, he would come out with a megaphone and be like, "Come scored one to nothing." Yeah, and people would just hang out outside yeah. the building to. Yeah, all right. Yeah, okay. His first announcing job yeah. was the Cubs play-by-play guy. Yes, for WOC in Davenport, Iowa. The owner of the radio station. Do you know this? I'm, go ahead. I'm but... the owner of WOC invented the practice of chiropractic. Oh, yeah. Whoa. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was the one I was most excited for us so, to hear. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So he was a radio station owner. The chiropractor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he did that. He invented chiropractic before the radio station or while he owned I don't the have radio? that. I just have that the owner of the radio station invented chiropractic. <laughs> I also have never heard what? the term chiropractic. I haven't either. I've heard of chiropractics. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, but what was fascinating about how he did play-by-play for the Cubs was for all games, because he's in Davenport, Iowa, he's yeah. not in Chicago, is he would get the play-by-play via Morse code. Yes. And then announce what? the game from Morse code, play-by-play, and then he had a record that would play fans cheering. Yeah. So it seemed like he was at the game. And he was just yeah. like... Getting it via Morse code rapidly. I mean, baseball radio is like, I mean, rapid yeah, fire yeah. for the most, I mean, not now, but back then when they actually like 
yeah. got the ball, pitched it, hit it, you know, and he was doing all of it via Morse code. Yeah. And then whenever they would have a big hit, he would just like put the needle on the thing and have the crowd cheer. <laughs> and he, there would also be times where he would have to vamp because the, the signal wouldn't come in like, like yeah, sure. dead, you know, dead air. And he oh. would just basically make up what is happening and paint this picture about what's going on in the game. So the next I, spring, hold it, on. Oh, go ahead. Hold on. Before you said Morse code, uh, I thought I knew it wasn't true, but in my head, <laughs> I just pictured like from Chicago to yes. Davenport, Iowa, there's all these buildings with people with megaphones, <laughs> just like relaying it from one building to the other. A giant game. That would almost be better. Yeah. It would almost be better. According to the megaphone here, he just hit a <laughs> yeah. grand slam. An hour and a half ago. Yeah. I feel like Davenport is the home of, uh, they've got a- Sofas? Uh, are they? I don't know. My grandma always called her sofa Davenport. Oh, I just yeah. assumed. It's in Quad Cities. It's yeah, like right on the border think, of Illinois. I thought it was like the Davenport Cubs, but they're the Davenport. Uh, the Quad City River Bandits. Quad well, City the, DJs. The Iowa Cubs are the there minor league. That's what yeah. I'm thinking. Quad City DJs, though. Yes. From Space Jam. Yeah. Which is, I believe, the second Space Jam reference of the evening. I think so. Oh, yeah, yeah, Russ made one very quickly. <laughs> the next spring in 33, WOC Radio merged with the NBC affiliate WHO Radio in Des Moines. And he moved Who? there. <laughs> And he moved there as the chief sports announcer and got immediately defunded by the federal government. (laughs) (laughs) He got a much wider audience there. And two years later, in 35, he enlisted as a private in the Army Reserve Cavalry Corps. The spring of 37 was a pretty pivotal one for him. He's out doing spring training with the Cubs covering that. Which was where? Uh, Catalina Island, California. What? Catalina Wine Mixer. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> um, somehow he uh, was able to slip away and screen test for Warner Brothers. This story's bananas. Okay, so he stopped in Hollywood on his way out to Catalina, and a dude that was supposed to be in the movie had just committed suicide. So he just walked in and was like, I'll try it out. And they were like, yeah, give it a shot. Like, alive. that was the world they lived in. <laughs> You're alive? Yeah. <laughs> like, the dude off the street was like, I heard this guy just killed himself. Can I try out? And they were like, lack of options. Can you sure. read? <laughs> sure, come on. And up. it was just that easy. You just walked yeah. in and tried out. And uh, he got a seven-year contract offered to him <laughs> with Warner Brothers, <laughs> <laughs> which he signed. But he still enlisted at the Army, which was interesting. And uh, he was promoted. To, yeah, he was. He got promoted to second lieutenant. Then that summer, he goes into his first film, uh, which was called Love is on the Air. Soon after that, he married his fellow oh, Warner Brothers contract cute. actor, Jane Wyman. Which we need to talk about. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so Jane Wyman has a wild history. Her parents divorced and dropped her off at the neighbor before one going to San Francisco and the other going to Cleveland. Like That was her childhood. Her parents just were like, we're done here. Yeah. Go to the neighbor's house. This is when we abandon you. Yeah. <laughs> she... <clears throat> Married two different times before Ronald. Mm-hmm. And in order to get him to propose attempted suicide. Yeah. Oh. Via pills. Uh, to You know, which wasn't a red flag at all. So he was like, yeah, you're right. We should get married. Well, I figured he would just step in and replace. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> got it. Fun story. So they got married. <laughs> Do you know, Russ, who the original person who was rejected for the role of George Gipp in the new Rockney story. Robert Mitchum. John Wayne. Oh. Yeah. John Wayne was rejected, and yep. Ronald Reagan became George Gipp, the out famous no- win one for the Gipper. Out of nowhere. I wonder why. I mean, was John Wayne 
at the time of he the probably Gifford, walked in and was like i'll do it but i'm gonna say things about irish people like <laughs> obviously yeah he we was, know John. yeah like in january of 41 his first child maureen was born go ahead Blaine. he also played general custer in a movie about john brown oh Opposite yeah. Errol Flynn, yeah. which oh. is a whole nother uh-huh. bag of tricks. Uh-huh. Errol Flynn is, a, I mean, if you don't know anything about Errol Flynn, like yeah. this guy's absolutely insane. Um, <laughs> true. Errol Flynn plays J.E.B. Stewart. Okay, yeah. The whole story doesn't make sense because J.E.B. Stewart and General Custer never met. No. <laughs> Not but at the all. movie is all about their relationship. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite interesting. <laughs> Yeah, that's odd. Eight months later, Reagan starred in the movie King's Row, in which he delivered his famous line, Where's the rest of me? If you haven't seen the YouTube clip of him. So basically, he is... Is this what Metallica 1 is based on? No? Okay. That's fine. Some people will get that. Okay. (laughs) The character has his legs amputated by this crazy doctor person. Oh. And he wakes up to find that his bottom half is gone. And it actually is a pretty good delivery as far as uh, yeah, believability. What was the movie with Chimpanzee? That Project was X. called... What did you say, Russ? Project X with Matthew Broderick. No. Uh, Never seen that? Idle Hands? No, it's it, was, really sad it was in... Left uh, Turn Clyde. Bedtime for Bonzo. That's oh, right. Yeah, we'll, that's we'll get to right. that, though. We'll okay. get to that. So that Where's the Rest of Me line he would later use as his first autobiography title. Around the, <laughs> around the same time, he became an informant for the FBI. He was a board member for the Screen Actors Guild in Hollywood. And there was obviously a fear of communist infiltration of the movie industry. And uh, he was... Uh, Wait, yeah. what year is this? Uh, this is 1941, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Because in 46, he was like in- investigated by the FBI because uh-huh. he toyed around with the idea of becoming a full-fledged communist like he almost like gave his allegiance i don't know how it works i don't know how you become a communist i assume it's like slowly and then all at once but the (laughs) (laughs) how did this happen that's how it works yeah he ended up trying to show them the difference between the liberals and the communists Uh right yeah when he was okay yeah. April 42, he's called to active duty, reports uh, to San Francisco. He gets transferred gig. into the first motion picture unit of the Army Air Force in Culver <laughs> City, California. He made over 400 training films out at what was called Fort Roach. And a year and a half later, he would be promoted to captain. So later in life, when his brain would start to deteriorate, he would start to actually believe that he did the things that he acted mm. in the films. Mm. So like, I believe he was at one of the concentration camps. I don't remember which one. And he was like, I remember defending these mm. and they were like, Nope, <laughs> that's not what you did. Like you played somebody that did. Yeah. But nobody, like he was so well liked that nobody would actually like say those things. So he would walk around these battlefields and be like, I remember being here, <sighs> man. That's and, sad. Yeah. I don't want it yeah. to be sad. Yeah. On March of 45, he and Jane adopted their son, Michael, and that August, he's 12 signed... hours old. Yeah. Yeah, that was when they adopted him. Yeah. It was half a day. And that August, he signed a million-dollar contract with Whoa. Warner Brothers. In all, Reagan made 54 movies. By the end of the year, uh, he was discharged from the Army. In 47, he was elected president of the Screen Actors Guild for the first time, and he would be reelected for five more consecutive one-year terms. So I want to talk about a movie he almost made before okay. we talk about his SAG time. Yeah. He was supposed to star alongside Shirley Temple in a movie called That Hagen Girl. The premise of the movie 
is that she falls in love with the returning war hero. Yeah. That also might be her dad. Yeah. It's weird. I remember reading this. How old was Shirley Temple? I don't. I mean, at the time. I don't. I don't probably 16. Yeah. Okay. And I only like her a young. The only reason he didn't do it was because he got pneumonia. And so he was in the hospital when June gave birth to a girl that had like died shortly after. Yeah. But yeah, that that's a wild storyline. Like yeah. the fact that that was written is a wild storyline, uh-huh. but the fact that Ronald Reagan was almost in that movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As the dad slash love interest. Yeah. Yeah. In 47, he also testified before the House Un-American Activities Committee, which you may recall was home to McCarthy and Nixon. Yeah. Yeah. In 48, he introduced Truman at a campaign rally in L.A., and the next year he and Jane were divorced. Shockingly. Yeah. In the fall of 50, uh, there was a a famous election at the time. Uh, He switched his support from Democrat and fellow actress Representative Helen Douglas for U.S. Senator to Republican Richard Nixon. Although he did not like Nixon because he did not like how he smeared Helen Douglas in the campaign. Yeah. And it's important to talk about the pivot point in Ronald Reagan's life because it shows a lot about his character. And I totally understand that there are people that like him, but I want to paint the correct picture of his character. He is probably one of the most opportunists that we've studied Hmm. in this journey. He was, as we've discussed, devout, Democrat, liberal, almost communist. And then when he became president of SAG, started changing the rules so that it would benefit him and get him more contracts for movies. When his he shattered his leg in a charity softball tournament right around the same time his career started going on the downslope mm-hmm. and he couldn't act anymore. Yeah. So the only the only job he could get was as the announcer for GE's General Electric Theater. Yeah. While he was touring, what, the way they would do these is he would tour different General Electric plants and announce like the movie that was coming up. Kind of put your brain in the time that we're at in the this history. Is Fifty-four at the time. So like there would be like the primetime movie sponsored by General Electric, and Ronald Reagan would come on from the General Electric plant and be like, "Hey, this is the movie we're showing tonight." Blah 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 blah. Well, while he was touring these, these General Electric presidents around the country were telling him about how bad liberals were and why he would be so much better as a Republican and why he should join their side and that they would pay him if he would start talking about Republican ideals. And they really liked how he spoke, so they saw an opportunity to make him a politician, and that's what made him flip. So he really only flipped because he saw the dollar amount. And it was somebody that already was you know, relatively wealthy, a million dollars in 1950. Yeah. So he absolutely, you know, probably didn't need to do it, but it is, I mean, it speaks a lot to his character that he would just flip just because he had the wrong people in his ear. Well, not, not the wrong. Cause I'm not trying to say one side's wrong and one side's right. I'm saying like he was very easily manipulated to switch sides because it financially benefited him. And we'll see that a little bit later when he's president about how easily it is to convince him of literally anything. (laughs) Well, he almost didn't survive a chimpanzee attack. Uh, So let's back up a couple years. He's shooting a scene with his co-star Peggy, the chimpanzee in 1951. The movie is is Bonzo bedtime for Bonzo bedtime for Bonzo. And Peggy uh, became really fascinated with his necktie and she (gasps) yanked on it 
like a rope and shattered his leg. <laughs> she was she was in the charity softball <laughs> tournament as well. Uh, the knot he, two home runs in that game. He said later the knot got as big as his pinky fingernail. And he was finally released by the chimp, which can be pretty powerful. I, I, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. And uh, crew members had to cut the tie off of his neck. Yeah. So he was almost uh, murdered by the chimp. The knot was to the size of his fingernail? Yeah. yeah. Right. He actually, the very first Republican he ever voted for was Eisenhower. He thought Robert Kennedy was personally behind him not getting roles in Hollywood anymore. Oh, yeah. He hated, yeah. yeah and yeah. Hollywood as a whole didn't like that he changed political sides. That's actually why he wasn't getting roles anymore. Yeah. Was because he changed oh. sides. But he, he just like found one person and was like, you're the reason. <laughs> he also got really wrinkled later in life when... He was not, well, not, not <laughs> I realized how that A lot sounded. of time in the sun. Yeah, yeah, know. yeah. Just age overall. He got, uh, he got his panties in a wad about not getting recognized as, you know, going as far as he did of starting as an actor and becoming a president. He thought that he would be awarded something by the film industry and wasn't. Sure. And he, uh, he felt pretty slighted by that. Because he turned them all in as communists? I guess. Well, his, his big, like, break in the conservative side of parties was a Goldwater fundraiser. Mm-hmm. And it really changed the trajectory of his like future. And it was known as, quote, the speech. Yeah, a time for choosing in 1964. And it basically is what morphed into his future welfare queen speech. It was this made-up story about a woman that wanted a divorce with six kids because the divorce would give her an $80 raise a month. And it was completely made up. It wasn't true. And people latched onto this, and it became his big campaign like running point. Yeah. When he ran for president. I'm going to back up to 1952. We're kind of dancing around a little bit. But yeah, sorry. He and, no, it's okay. He and uh, actress Nancy Davis were married. Oh. And this was interesting. I didn't put two and two together until as I was preparing all the notes. Seven and a half months later, their daughter Patty was born. Seven and a half months after they're married. What's that, so weird about that? That's yeah. a pre, It's either a very premature child or uh, that baby was conceived early. Well... Oh. And we won't I don't necessarily that. get into too much of this, but sure. if you look at all into Nancy's back story, <laughs> oh boy. she had a certain reputation in Hollywood. Okay, so at 64, a political support group called the Friends of Ronald Reagan was formed. And in 66, he defeated incumbent California Governor Pat Brown in a landslide, and he became a leading presidential nomination contender in 68, but he was unsuccessful, and he joined in the support for Nixon for president. He it's was fun tie into my personal life. One of my... Mm-hmm. Uh, First babysitter's name was Pat Brown. Oh yeah, yeah. Not the what? Not to my knowledge, she wasn't the governor of California. But you never know. You never know. Yeah, could have been. Like I never asked. So yeah. <laughs> you didn't do the due diligence. <laughs> she was a fantastic woman. Yeah, she might be still alive. She, if she is, she's still a fantastic woman. She might be listening right now. Man, that would be. If you are, please reach out. I would love to reconnect, Pat. If you are the Pat Brown who used to babysit Blaine Zimmerman in, <laughs> in your single wide trailer, in possibly Cicero. the governor oh, of Cicero. California. Yeah, that's true. Well, he was reelected as governor in seventy, and in seventy five, he announced his candidacy for president. <laughs> nine days into his governorship, <laughs> he was nine yeah. days into being governor, and he was like running for president. Yep, he would run against fellow Republican and sitting president Gerald Ford. He would lose the race for the nomination. Went to Bohemian Grove. Oh yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh. Which uh, do you do you remember the uh, the honorary like first thing you have to do when you get into Bohemian Grove, like when you get on site? Is it like the same thing Nancy did? <laughs> <laughs> no, you have to pee on this like giant redwood tree. Like everybody, yeah, everybody oh, pees boring. on this tree. 
Yeah, it's so, not as shady is that why as you think it, it grew so big. Well, the um, redwood tree would probably. be pretty shady. That's a good oh. point. Literally, <laughs> right. literally shady. Thank. I really appreciate that. <laughs> dad to dad, that's great. <laughs> um, and so he won the nomination for president in eighty. And so in seventy six, though, oh. when he first decided to run against Ford which obviously he would have lost to Jimmy Carter. Yeah. He already would have been the oldest man to run since William Henry Harrison <laughs> in 74 years before he won. That's old. How old was he? I don't know. Oh, okay. uh, 1911 and 1976, he would have been, what, 65? 65. Yeah. Yeah. So already the first time he thought about it. Yep. So <laughs> the other thing <laughs> as he was running that I wanted to bring up, I alluded to it earlier, he would believe... Like he was basically one of those people that believed the the last person that talked, and so that was pretty well known in the cabinet. But like he would also believe anything somebody wrote him, to include like he once put in a speech there was more oil in Alaska than all of Saudi Arabia because somebody wrote him a letter and said that, huh. and and huh. it yeah. got through his advisors. He never read his briefing books. And people were like, he president said it must be true. He would get anecdotes from like Reader's Digest. Is that what it oh, was? Yeah. Oh. Like he would clip them out and, and put these anecdotes into speech. And so instead of his reading his briefing books from the intelligence agencies, he'd be like, Well, Reader's Digest says this. I don't know. It's also coming up on time to plant your flowers for spring. Yeah. Um, well, he first so Ford, you remember from uh from two episodes ago, Ford was going to potentially join the ticket as VP. VP. And it oh. was going to be like this co-presidency thing. Ford turned him down. And so he offered the position for VP to George H.W. Bush. The two of them went on to defeat President Jimmy Carter in an electoral and popular landslide carrying 44 states. Jimmy Carter, one of L. Allward's favorite presidents. <laughs> oh, yeah. As we found from yeah. the last... Gosh, that was one of my favorite things that's happened <laughs> yeah, in 40 it episodes. Was, a lot was like, there was a moment in the last quarter of that episode where he just let it fly yeah yeah those bud light limes were flowing <laughs> he just great. he was he just let it all out <laughs> it was it was, it was great. great like russ and i were just shooting each other looks like <laughs> yeah. this is gold yeah, like, yeah. this is the keep, entire cold keep open recording. Keep yeah. Going. Yeah. <laughs> um, reagan was the oldest first term president to be sworn in at the time and held this distinction until 2017 when trump was inaugurated at age 70 though reagan was older upon being inaugurated for his second term so he lost contact at one point while he was running with his daughter, Patty, because Patty wanted nothing to do with her dad, took the last name Dan's, like D-A-N-S, and was touring with the Eagles because at the time she was dating uh, guitarist Bernie Learden. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bernie was the guy with the big mustache. I don't think he lasted long, but he was in the yeah original group. Yeah. That was her way of... Good night, buddy. Uh, that was her way of like rebelling was I'm going to date this dude in the most overrated band of all time that people wow. pretend to like. Wow. And Shots fired. Good night to Wes, by the way. Yeah, that good was, night, Wes. Uh, and I hate the Eagles, man. <laughs> wow. My, I, I'll be honest. My entire disdain for the Eagles is just because of the movie, The Big Lebowski. Oh, okay. All right. Oh, yeah. okay. That's like fair. That one cab ride scene, I was like, that's it. I'm out on the Eagles. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yep. And so now I'm just like my real, personal. It's, it's my a real personal, Reagan perspective. Yeah, it's yeah. my own personal thing to just attack the Eagles at all time. Okay. Yeah. Just based on one scene in a movie. Yeah. Well, but I mean, if you listen to their music, it's also not good and milk toast. Wow. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, don't know I disagree. About that. This is this is the thing that no. gets like angry hate mail. I disagree. <laughs> 
Well, on the day he was inaugurated, 52 American hostages held in Iran. Oh, hold on. Before that, let's talk about the uh, were released. the microphone. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so he has this debate set up that they like paid for. It, and it was at like deal. Natasha High School. I, my notes are... It, it was at a high school. Um, <laughs> it, it looks like Natasha. I don't know. Um, the <laughs> So Bush wouldn't allow like the other candidates and Reagan insisted on it because yeah. he knew they would all like make gaffes. Yeah. And Bush wanted like a one-on-one. Correct. And so Reagan's standing up there and the moderator threatens to cut his mic off and he's like, sir, I paid for this microphone and everybody in the crowd lost their minds. And, yeah. They loved that. Yeah. Yeah. It's all theater. <laughs> there it is. Well, 52 American hostages. <laughs> and then he later picks Bush as his running mate. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take that guy. <laughs> yeah. They were released on inauguration day. They'd been held for 444 days which we covered in our previous episode on Jimmy Carter with my dad. Yeah, um, like Reagan definitely did some probably illegal things to make that happen. Because civilians aren't allowed to dabble in foreign policy. Like it's actually yeah. illegal. And if the rumors are true, which, you know, based on timing, they probably are. He definitely had some conversations with them about not releasing them until he was inaugurated. Yeah. Oh, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like they were, yeah, it was purposefully like he, he kept people in a hostage situation to help him politically. Yeah. Which, you know, isn't against what we've seen from his character thus far. And I can't remember if we covered it in Carter's episode, but President Carter and the First Lady left Washington to go meet with those released hostages. Mm -hmm. I mean, they left Washington fast to go to meet up with them. On that note, let's take a break. You're listening to The Actor and we'll be right back. Facing the transition out of the military is rarely easy. It doesn't help that the staggering number of options you're faced with can be overwhelming. But there's a light at the end of that tunnel for all veterans. And that light shines brightest here in Indiana. Lucrative careers in fast-growing industries are plentiful. Housing costs are amongst the lowest in the nation. And you can live in the country while being less than an hour from a world-class city. At InVets, we're showing veterans how to translate the valuable skills they've learned to the civilian world while connecting them with careers they can be proud of so they can lead fulfilling, purposeful lives. Go to InVets, that's I-N-V-E-T-S dot org. Create a profile to learn more about Indiana communities, browse the current open job openings in these communities, and receive your free shirt. That's InVets, I-N-V-E-T-S dot org. <laughs> I've got the funny. Welcome back, everybody. Ooh. Uh, we hope you enjoyed that short break. We know we did. We're back. So Reagan is now inaugurated. He's the 40th president. And about two months later, he is it's almost... Shocked. I mean, that's pretty cool, like the parallels between him being the 40th president and this is... It's the 40th episode. Yeah. Yeah. It's an intriguing... It's almost as wild as uh, Veterans Day being on the same day the right. World War One ended. Yeah. Like, Armistice what a coincidence. Day. Wow. What a coincidence. Well, I actually had somebody that was listening to that episode that was like, I almost threw something through my car. <laughs> I was so angry when you said that. <laughs> well, he's almost Shout killed. out to Roy Hobbs. Roy Hobbs from... Uh, the Natural? The Natural, the yeah. The natural, yeah. Protecting his name, but... Okay. Uh, oh, I call okay. him Roy. His last name's Hobbs. Okay. So... Yeah, he's an ardent listener. Uh, every episode, he like lets me know what we got wrong, and I'm like, "Thanks, man. I, Thanks, I care boy. a lot." Oh boy, he has a long list. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's almost killed uh, by John Hinckley Jr., who, mm. side note, I think recently was released from prison. I think, but like, just he's recently. the so he's the muse for Silence of the Lambs. Yes, because he was originally going to kill Jimmy Carter, and then he realized he saw the polls and was like, "Oh, he's going to lose." So yeah. I've got to shift. So it was Jody Foster. Taxi driver. 
yeah, he was trying to impress Jodie Foster. No, no, no. It was Jodie Foster's muse when she was like preparing for Silence of the Lambs. Oh. Like she was like, yeah, I had a stalker. Oh, I gotcha. Yeah. And so like I know like what it's like to deal with like weird people that are into wine mm. that's covered in bamboo. When they first moved Chianti. Oh. Oh. oh yeah. Got it. Like a cask. Um, yeah. Nancy, when they first moved in the White House, didn't do them any favors. The first few months, she demanded an $800,000 remodel of the White House and $200,000 of China for place settings. And if we can remember where we were, this is lines up to the gas station, giant recession. Yeah. And this is the first like move she wanted to make was yeah. a million bucks between remodeling the White House and China. Like, yeah. Nancy, whew, <laughs> this isn't a, a presidential wife podcast but man she was not the greatest Ooh. we're gonna she's gonna interweave here yeah. and there uh yeah we're getting into it you you have been blaine's been waiting for reagan <laughs> to release his frustration blaine's been waiting <laughs> talk about astrology i can't jump in on that i don't know that's not very well that's, i know the song you're talking about it's by foreigner <clears throat> It sure is. Which Ronald Reagan would not have liked. <laughs> uh, so he's almost killed. Uh, he survives. Long story short. And the, it was the they didn't know who was going to be president or who was supposed to assume responsibility yeah. because H-Dub was on a plane. Correct. And Haig, which is, this is a good point to bring in Russ, was like, no, it's me. And everybody was like, go F yourself. It's not you. He like went in front of the press corps. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, oh, Alexander Haig, right? Yeah. Russ, yeah. you have some stuff on Alexander Haig. I do. Because you're not going to do H-Dub because yeah. next episode. Correct. Russ, yeah. our yeah. vice presidential expert and in, in most recently not vice presidents <laughs> at all. Yeah. Like probably the last like six episodes. <laughs> well, he's got true. someone else. Yeah. So uh, tell us about Alexander Haig. Yeah. yeah. So Alexander Haig was Reagan's secretary of state and he was also chief of staff for Nixon and yeah. Ford. And before that, I mean, he was the, I don't know if he still is, but he was the youngest four-star general. And his, at 48 years old. Wow, that's Wow, young. that's really young. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. very young. Wow. Yeah. Okay. He was like, Who do you have to moved ahead of like 250 <laughs> other candidates. I just good. heard that. Said it far it. enough away that yeah, it would sure be funnier. <laughs> His resume, his military CV, res- if you're British, yeah, for the his one military CV is enormous. Like it is, is very impressive. Uh, I guess I don't know. For those of you who didn't see what Blaine just did while Russ was talking, he tried to Mister Miyagi a fly or a <laughs> mosquito. Sure uh, that was a very trying to get the house ready to sell. So yeah, yeah was, did you get it? <laughs> yeah, a I powerful did. grab. Oh, you got it. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was a mosquito. It wasn't a fly. Yeah, so he maintained the situation map and provided daily briefings for MacArthur. Like he was, huh? From oh, back okay, okay not I'm, just a little bit of like, his military why is resume. MacArthur coming up, okay, you're just, talking about back in the yeah. Okay. It's just yeah. extensive, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was in Korea. He was at the battle for Chosen Reservoir. Oh, Chosin, Chosin, oh, oh, the uh, Tootsie Rolls, Tootsie. the Tootsie Rolls. Yeah, it's it's not Chosen Rolls, the Frozen Chosen, Chosin. Chosin. Frozen Chosin. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, he was the supreme allied commander of NATO forces. Was he also. the guy that authorized the Tootsie Rolls? He was like, that's what they want. He must have been. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't read that, though. I take anyway, it very literally. So, so what you're referencing, the um, 
when Reagan was shot mm-hmm. and the press conference where he said, I am in control here was because George H.W. Bush was on vacation and he was flying back. And during that time, the... Wasn't he flying to vacation and they rerouted him back? Like sure. he hadn't he was, gotten all the way to the He was en route yeah. one way or another to vacation. Yeah. And without having Reagan there, and I guess without having Bush there, the White House was... They didn't really didn't know what to yeah. do. Like yeah. the well, because the twenty fifth was still new at the time, like, relatively nineteen sixty seven. Yeah, so it was still relatively new concept at the time, and yeah. they're like, well, because there isn't somebody like able to make decisions right now, so we have to go to the next in line. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah. and Kiefer Sutherland's not alive yet. Correct. So <laughs> great point. Well, he's you know a child, so but not even yeah. even ready outside of the twenty fifth amendment stuff, they were like. Uh, was it Casper Weinberger? Was he the Secretary of Defense at the time? The friendly Secretary of the Defense. The friendly Secretary yeah, of Defense. See-through. He's very I mean, he was, you know, they, they didn't know at the time who had, had sent Hinckley to try to assassinate Reagan. Because isn't the third, the, the third in line is Speaker of the House, Correct. not Secretary of State. Not Secretary of State. Do Correct. we know who the Speaker of the House was at the Tip time? Tip O'Neill. Oh, Perfect. Yeah. Okay. It's Tip O'Neill. <laughs> okay. But I, was, I, I love the world in which Tip O'Neill is president for six hours. <laughs> <laughs> so I think what happened, or according to, uh, I mean, according to Alexander Haig, when he was asked about it at the time, the the White House was kind of in disarray. He's like, I paid and, for this microphone. <laughs> yeah. This is but my... Russia could see that. China could see that. And at the time, there was nobody running the country. The quote was taken out of context and, yeah. and so like edited. he said he just said, you know, until I'll consult with HW. Yeah. But until he comes back, we have it under control. Yeah. I'm in control. <clears throat> like here. He said, I'm in charge. And everybody else in the situation room was like, I can't go for that. <laughs> yeah. No can do. I can't go for that. I can't go for Hague. Can't go for Hague. Can't go for Hague. It was a lot like that. Yeah. <laughs> no, Hall and Oates so, were actually They were at actually the White in House. the situation yeah. room at the time. They, they were still, like, I can't go for Hag. Mm-hmm. They're still there now to this day. <laughs> well, Oates is. Anytime <laughs> the president comes in, he's like, oh, here he comes. <laughs> oh, that would be Watch so great. Just replace, replace oh. Hales of the Chief. <laughs> <laughs> he's the president. That would be so great. He only comes out at night. Daryl Hall still just doing his show, and he's like, I carried John Oates for all these years, and now all he does is sit in the White House and go, oh, here he comes. It's John Oates' only legacy. He wrote zero Hall and Oates songs. None. He just gets to ride Daryl Hall's coattails all the way to the White House. He was there. He's actually in that photo of when they got bin Laden. He's like right off the right yeah. off the frame. No, it's just the side of his face, and he's sweating. Yep, it's, it's him. <laughs> just he's like still singing. The, yep. the cover of the album. What is it? What's right. the album called? Heat. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking of the one where they were like full makeup. No, I was thinking about the one where they're face to face and they're yeah. sweating. Sweaty. Either way, Russ, you were talking about. Watch out, about... boys! Yeah, they'll chew you up. So, so after he had that quote, everybody was kind of pissed off at him inside yeah. the Reagan administration. Sure. So yeah. he, there was a colorful quote in the book about you know who does this guy think he is? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they with, forced with him beeps. Out. Yeah, so they forced him out like a, a year and a half later. And then and didn't he, they bring in somebody named Reagan? I never got Reagan. like how you it pronounce Reagan. that guy's Reagan. name. Yeah. Reagan. Oh, I thought it was R. Oh, it is R E G A N. So it's yeah. Reagan. Okay. Yeah. Reagan. It, it was Reagan. So he resigned and then he 
actually sought the presidential nomination in 1988. And in Iowa, there was, out of a field of six candidates, he placed eighth. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he got less than he got less than one percent of the vote. I don't think that makes much no, no. sense. Seventh. He plays seventh. <laughs> Out of six. Out of six. Wow. Because. Mickey um, Mouse. No. No. He got less than 1% of the vote. No preference got higher than oh, he did. Wow. wow. Yeah. Good job, no preference. Wow. Yeah. So he. You're really doing the Lord's work out yeah. there. Yeah. After that, he moved on to like the private sector. Yeah. And he became a. He was on the board of MGM. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. He was on the board Metro of Goldwyn MGM, Meyer. Metro Goldwyn Mayer. Yeah. When they created the movie Red Dawn. Oh, Wolverine. Uh, uh-huh. uh, a big reason, huh? That Red Dawn, which was originally supposed to be kind of an anti-war movie and yeah. really have nothing to do with communists. Yeah. Uh, a big reason it ended up the way it ended up was Alexander Haig. Perfect. So he had he so, had a lot of influence overall, like uh, plus three. You know, negative yeah. twenty seven yeah, yeah, on yeah. his you yeah. know yeah, yeah, career yeah. here, but plus thirty on Red Dawn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, after leaving MGM, he was the first director of Commodore International, which is the Commodore sixty four. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the Brick House. Uh huh. Commodore wrote the Brick House. No, She's the a video brick. game. Right? Da, da, da. Yeah, the video House. game. But I know the song. Da, 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 Lionel Richie, Alexander Haig. He's in a brick house. Commodore yeah. 64 was like the original Atari. Yeah, right? it was like the gaming system. Yeah. Right? He was the CEO of that? Mm-hmm. He was. And he was also the founding corporate director of America Online. Oh, you've got mail. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <clears throat> Tom yeah. Hanks. Do you guys remember your uh, IM chat names from back in the day? Mm-hmm. What was yours? Mini Much Moosin. Oh, Mini man. Much Moosin. Speaking of Reagan. Yeah. Regan. What's that from? Uh, it was a stand-up. Well, he's still a stand-up comedian. His okay. name is Brian Regan. Okay. And he had this whole joke about what's the the plural for moose, meeson meese. Yeah, well, yeah. that's Moosen. that's the joke. Like Moosen. you're really yeah. leaning into it, yeah. Yeah. And so he was like, "There was many much moosen," and that was I just rolled with that. Yeah, yeah. you liked that. One. But I was that definite that. like dude in college that like put up song lyrics like when I was away and stuff yeah. like that. Oh yeah. Um, what was yours? Was yours terrible. was probably something about music. It had to do with Florida State, and I'm trying to pinpoint exactly what it was because both my parents went there, and through high school, I was a Florida State fan. Uh, I think it was like FSU Fishers 99, something like that. Oh, yeah, so very original. Did you do song lyrics when you were away? On occasion. I remember the, yeah. like, the moment, that like the excitement of like I get my 30 minutes of internet time, yeah. like the phone's going to be oh, off, and you're yeah. yeah. doing the... Yeah. Do you remember having to wait till after nine o'clock and then just hoping that like calls? yeah, and then just hoping like your girlfriend was online, like your yeah. quote girlfriend, yeah, like yeah, yeah, like your quote girlfriend. I remember well, the day I mean, when you're you know yeah. eighth ninth grade, yeah, the day our family got the internet in our home. I remember, <laughs> no, I remember day. that too. I, I remember too. like the giant box yeah of computer i remember it not because of the the internet but because i was so intrigued by it with my dad i was like helping him install it well you were a big al gore fan you were like this is what big al, al gore fan is. Finally. <laughs> this is yeah. and i was dog sitting at the time for a neighbor's dog and i had completely forgotten to let the dog out and the next day they returned home and, and the dog dead. had shit 
everywhere. And uh, the neighbors were like, hey, did you uh, did you forget to let our dog out yesterday? I was like, no, I let her out. You should have just been like, have you seen this thing? It's got everything. Like, it was 14, those... it's only 17 minutes a page. It was definitely one of those moments where I was like, oh, damn it. I definitely forgot to let the dog out. I hope that this is the first time they're learning about it. Yeah. They're like, I knew it. The I dog it. was large. His name was Sasha. Yeah, which was. is a Russian name, right? You know all the Russian dogs. Yeah, things. usually a bear. I think most of the Russian bears are named Sasha. Yeah, Sasha. Oh, my father-in-law's Russian name is Sasha. Oh. Yeah. What do you mean? I'm sorry. <laughs> he has a, a Russian name and an Americanized name? Yeah, kind of. I don't know how it works. I don't know if it's his nickname, but some people call him Sasha. Other people call him Alex. So, Do the people that call him Sasha knew him when he was a KGB? Because maybe that was like oh, his coach. Uh, that's a good point. About that. Yeah. That's yeah. a good point. For, for those that don't remember, Russ's father-in-law was in the KGB. <sighs> yeah. All right. And still might be. <laughs> Which ties into Reagan. You know. Here we go. So we serve. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you have anything on Alexander Haig left? No, after the... Okay. After when he Commodore, was in, after his great success with the, the video game system. The after the AOL, he, wrote, he, he just he dived full into like the military-industrial oh, complex. Per- and, ah. That Eisenhower I, warned us against. So he was on like the like quite literal cutting edge of history. He really like, was. To yeah. be the CEO of the Commodore 64 and then America Online, that's yeah. pretty Among amazing. Other, and yeah. he was he was also very high up in United Technologies, very influential in getting Poland, Czech Republic, and Hungary into NATO. Okay. They say the a big part of the reason he wanted to do that is because when a country joins NATO, they have to buy new military equipment to become interoperable with the other nato forces mm. oh, yeah. and he represented so many companies defense that were com- yeah, yeah so Grumman, many defense Northrop companies Grumman and exactly. he's like listen i like can that. make us a lot and, of money and yeah. he did that for the rest of his life going yeah. i mean human rights be damned he went everywhere opening up the gates for yeah that's interesting after you buy all the missiles to get into nato you have to pee on the redwood yeah of course. <laughs> it's not shady no so Reagan survives. Thank you, Russ, by the way, for your diligence of uh, schooling us on Alexander Haig. Appreciate that. Yep. So I think the very first thing we talk about right after Haig is the air traffic control, correct? Uh, well, let's save that because about a month earlier, Reagan appointed Sandra Day O'Connor to be mm-hmm. replacing the retiring Justice Potter Stewart. And O'Connor was unanimously confirmed that fall by the Senate, and she was the first woman appointed to the Supreme Court. Uh, but yes, now we're right where you are, Blaine, talking about striking air traffic controllers. Yeah, so they went on strike, and they tried to hold the line. Love isn't always on time. These planes aren't always on time. <laughs> no, no, Because no. we're underpaid. Uh, so they were underpaid. Long hours, unreasonable pay, long hours, yep. and outdated equipment. All sorts of things you don't want for an air traffic controller. You right. would want them to be fresh. I mean, if you look at, like, if I remember right, like, it's one of the, like, top five jobs for suicides. Yeah. Because it's such a high-stress job. So stressful. Why wouldn't you want them to have the best equipment on, like, a shift where they're well-rested and enjoy their job yeah. and not running long hours? And so what did he do when they struck to get livable working conditions he fired all of them and blacklisted them from ever having federal jobs ever again yeah thirteen thousand, roughly across the country i think he invoked like the taft hartley act from 47 he was like that it's a violation of that and i'm gonna do it and uh 
Yeah, he gave him 48 hours to get back to work, and he used supervisors and military controllers to handle the commercial air traffic until new controllers could be hired and trained. I guess. Who was hopping on a plane right after that? I don't know. <laughs> That's a really was, good point. Who's there next day? Well, I mean, yeah. at the time, it's still like relatively reserved for like business travelers in the high class, right? Like, it's not at like even in the 80s, if I'm, you know, I could be wrong about this, but even in the 80s, I'm pretty sure air travel is still like a luxury if you're not like a, yeah. a relative business traveler all the time. And I mean, you're still like partying on the plane and like smacking the flight attendants on the butt and smoking the like, air that's oh, also you, one of the things every time i get on a plane and there's still an ashtray i'm like yeah. i don't trust this plane <laughs> like you haven't been allowed to smoke on a plane in yeah. years why is yeah. there an ashtray like this yeah. <laughs> stewardess is, would probably be a uh a word that you would use back then stewardess yeah. or air waitress what did i say no you said flight attendant like that's the common vernacular now but back then oh, it yeah. would have been yeah broad yeah, broad yeah like yeah. uh patrick's sister patrick fugget's sister in uh uh patrick who patrick, patrick fugget that's his name I'm sorry what f-u-g-i-t the ah, dude that that's... the main character in almost famous i think that's fugit oh. i had no uh... Fug it That's... would be F U G G I T. <laughs> Whatever. His sister, Zoe Deschanel's character in Almost Famous becomes a flight attendant. For like TSA or not TSA. The whatever. Uh NWA. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Jump around. Nope. Nope. That was uh, on- <laughs> that was Onyx. Let's not do it. Yeah. Oh, NWA. You can't, oh, we yeah, can't yeah, really yeah, do yeah, NWA. Yeah, sorry, it would just yeah. be like beep, 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 beep. TWA. It would be like Morse code and Ronald Reagan getting it talking about a base hit for the Cubs. And then his defense plan uh-huh. was basically just put a dome over it and he called it Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. <laughs> yeah. He just wanted to put an anti missile dome over the entire... The Strategic Defense Initiative, SDI. Bro. He didn't call it Star Wars. Opponents to it called it Star Wars because they thought the technology was not going to work. Wait, I just did they really want to put a dome? Yes. No, well, it wasn't like an actual dome. It was like this like thing that didn't actually exist. It was an anti ballistic missile shield. That wasn't really a dome. It was like what you would see in like a sci-fi movie that you can't like what's the most like crazy marvel movie infinity war or the one after it avengers endgame yes okay and i haven't even all seen like, it but i knew that they're right. all like getting ready to fight and they have this invisible shield over wakanda where things can't get in uh. that was his concept that is still only a concept in marvel movies Got he it. was like we need one of those in america oh like the daughter in the incredibles yes Yes. Side note, Madam Incredible. I don't know her name. Uh, Mrs. Incredible. What's her name? Do we know? Susan. Is it Susie Incredible? No. Stretch. She might be my animated character crush, okay. by the way. Oh, uh, okay. I'm just saying. Elastigirl. Woman. Elastigirl. Girl. Yeah, we've all got Broad. One. Yeah. Uh, you, do you, we? I think we probably do. Russ, who's your uh, animated cartoon character crush? Do you have one? I don't know. Oh, it's, sure. it's such a danger area because so many of them are teenagers. We yeah. know yours is Bugs Bunny dressed up as a woman. <laughs> yes. Russ, who's okay. yours? Fair. I don't know. That's a good no, it's actually it's Pepe Le Pew dressed up as a woman. I don't know. Jessica Rabbit. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, good. Sure. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. That's a cop out. It is. is I it couldn't though? think of something else. 
Are you watching Who Framed Roger Rabbit again, Ross? <laughs> like my like go to right like when you initially said it, I was like, "Oh, the girl from Brave," and then I was like, "She might be 15. Oh yeah, that's, that's a good point. <laughs> that's yeah. an old Shirley. So, like it's a kind of tricky, yeah. weird question. Yeah, I don't know. The mom from Toy Story, she's single. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen that uh, the whole theory about like Andy's dad? Oh yeah, like where's Andy's dad in Toy Story? I did not. Yeah, realize he's with my dad. You never see the dad. <laughs> that, that's deep. <laughs> My dad. Your biological dad's out there with having a LBJ. beer with an, with an animated <laughs> deadbeat dad from Toy Story. <laughs> oh, okay. Huh. Well, uh, in 1982, there's a crack ap- epidemic uh, going on, and Reagan began the War on Drugs campaign in that mm. year, in 1982. Oh, did he? Spoiler alert. Yeah. He lost. Drugs won. <laughs> drugs Drugs are still winning. <laughs> drugs won. Uh, the, war on the first drugs. lady made the war on drugs her main priority by founding the Just Say No Drug Awareness campaign. She traveled to 65 cities in 33 states, raising awareness about the dangers of drugs, including alcohol. And I think that was the forerunner of uh, Dare. Dare, Drug Abuse <clears throat> Resistance Education. Which just became an ironic shirt for skateboarders. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like that was the whole like branding of Dare was it became yeah. the shirt of skateboarders. Yeah. You don't even know what that stands for. Yeah. Name one of their songs. <laughs> <laughs> also in nineteen eighty. 1980- <laughs> Also in 1982, uh, <laughs> we were downtown yesterday, and people were on bird scooters, and this like 19 year old girl was wearing an Iron Maiden shirt, and I was oh, like, uh, "Well, I don't yeah, care." Yeah, like, okay. But my first thought was like, "She has no idea." Yeah, <laughs> no, none. none. He became the first president in '82 to address the combined British Houses of Parliament when he was making a speech there, taking Britain's side in the Falkland Islands conflict with Argentina. So kind of unique there. And there have been stories about presidents or people who became president in front of the queen. Who was the guy that brought his prostitute with him? Oh, um, who was Daniel that? Sickles. Yeah. Yeah. Was that in Buchanan's Fannie episode? Uh, yeah. Fannie Mae. Yeah. Probably. He was around there. Yeah. 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 He came up in Lincoln, too, and we have a bonus episode about Daniel Sickles. And I think the Queen at the time called Millard Fillmore like the most handsome man alive or something like that. Yeah, Yeah, well, and there was the whole thing with Eisenhower with they didn't want to be seen with the Queen, so they were like on their hands and knees. Uh, We wouldn't want to embarrass them. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it was the King King and Queen were on their hands and knees because they didn't want to be seen in the Reagan. Their daughter is now. Oh, oh, wow. And their daughter is now uh, Queen of England. What was what's? Her well, name? they're getting infiltrated. We're going to take it over. You think? Yeah, Megan. Oh. oh yeah, that's right. All right, so take them ni- out from the inside. <laughs> 1983 <laughs> is a very eventful year for Reagan. We talked about Star Wars in uh, March of '83. There's an ongoing recession that ends that spring, based on economic stuff. That like, hey, we're out of the recession now. Is he- there like a day? Well, where you're like it ended systematic over? recession. <sighs> what? Oh, <laughs> there it is. Yeah, we fixed it. Uh, he signed a social security reform bill into law. Around this time, there's also the civil war going on in Lebanon. There's an American peacekeeping force in Beirut uh, that gets attacked by a Hezbollah suicide truck bomber on October 23rd, 1983, killing 241 American servicemen and wounding more than 60 others while many of them were sleeping. It happened on a Sunday morning. The truck broke through and the floors essentially fell. Yeah. Yeah. And so... Uh, big, big loss. And Reagan would send in the USS New Jersey battleship to shell Syrian positions in Lebanon. 
Two years after the bombing, so this is in 85, flash forward a little bit, at the request of the Lebanese government, Reagan would withdraw all the Marines from Lebanon and he would never again send ground troops into Lebanon or any other place in the Middle East for the rest of his presidency. But on October 25th of 1983, guess what happened in the Caribbean? He was in, uh, <laughs> he was in, on vacation in Augusta. He was on the 16th hole. When he found out about the crisis in Grenada, while a gunman was yes, walking the right. grounds and firing shots into the clubhouse. What? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. When he found out about Grenada, there was a dude trying to assassinate him outside of Augusta, shooting shots into the clubhouse. He was on, like, he was on the 16th hole, which I believe is a par three, over water. Um, Naturally. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. I think it's the famous one that, like, on the practice day, they yeah. all try to skip the ball over the water. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. And this um, gunman was convinced he was not going to miss his shot. Oh, oh you hey, got it. We haven't had one in a while. Well done. I got a little nervous as you were talking about Alexander Haig. Oh, oh dude. Yeah. I was Because like, all Oof. I was thinking was like, if Alexander Haig was born in 1790, yeah. he would have been president. And probably yeah. we'd have statues everywhere of him. Yeah. 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 Might be on I guess it sounds like the type of name that would have been like a founding father. Yeah. Yeah, he would have been. Yeah. Well, so if you're not familiar with the invasion of Grenada, U.S. forces invaded the little tiny island nation to overthrow the military government that had carried out a coup days before. Coop. Um, a coup. Little deuce coup. It was no match for the U.S. military, of course, and the uh, U.S. subdued the opposing forces within a few days. Shocking. Yeah, right. It's an island the size of my kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in 84, he was renominated the following August and was reelected that November, defeating Carter's vice president, Democrat Walter Mondale of Minnesota, in a landslide, uh, winning yeah. 49 states to Mondale's one state. He won his home state, Minnesota. Russ, as you shared during Carter's episode. Fritz. Along with D.C. Oh, yeah, that's right. We were that trying to figure out why we were Fritz. calling him Fritz. Do you have any other notes? Putting on the Fritz. <laughs> the... Do you have uh, any other notes or George Orwell references to the year 1984 in your uh, field notes? No, but before we go to break, yeah. Well, as we when we come back from break, we're going to talk about Nancy's involvement in Ronald's calendar and the new person oh, yeah. she hires into yeah. the White House Ooh, to yeah. set him up for success. This was quite eye opening when when I read this. It was eye opening. Oh to boy. Me. Okay, you're listening to the actor, and we'll be right back. Bye. Hey guys, it's Ryan. If you need custom-made t-shirts for your team or organization, look no further than our good friends here in Indy, The Art Press. The Art Press is a local, eco-friendly small business that's been around for years here in Indy, designing and printing all the super comfortable shirts you may have seen through their parent company's store, Vardigan. We've worked with them on our awesome new shirts that feature Thomas Jefferson riding a fire-breathing mastodon, and our experience couldn't have gone better. If you need help creating a design or you have your artwork ready to print, Derek and the team at The Art Press can help you get your orders set up online quickly and easily. Plus, they ship everywhere and offer excellent customer service. Get a quote on your order of shirts today at theartpress.com. That's theartpress.com. Welcome back. So as we alluded to before the break, Nancy Reagan has hired a person to completely run Ronald's life. This person's name was Joan Quigley, and she was basically the Miss Cleo of the White House. Um, she was paid $3,000 a month as the White House astronomer. Wow. 
And Nancy would literally rearrange Ronald's schedule. Go ahead. Did you say astronomer? Yeah, she was the White House astronomer. And she was like, Yaman, we've got to change Ronald's schedule. I don't. uh, (laughs) Was that Sebastian? Like purely based on her advice. (laughs) Yeah. She was like, she did commercials at like 3 a.m. on on TV. like based on her advice, she was actually Nancy was against Ronald running for a second term because of the assassination attempt. But Miss Quigley uh, did like said he was the shoe in, and so yeah. she allowed it. But then his entire second term, his schedule was based on the White House astronomers' like tarot readings. Yeah, no joke. We had a president who was like his entire schedule was based on this woman that we paid $3,000 a month to say like, well, the cards say this. It was absolutely wild. Like we're the wild west. I feel like Neil deGrasse Tyson is listening to this and getting very upset because <laughs> yeah. you keep calling it an astronomer that's what instead they, of astrologer. I, they really I, called her an astronomer? That's what they call her. The White House astronomer. So I knew that Nancy was into astrology or astronomy. Yeah, um, or but, astrology. But I did not know until reading this book, which I thought was a good. I book, guess it by gives the way. her more credence if she's. Yeah, a, I can see that. Like she saw the bad moon rising. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> she saw trouble on the line. Um, I didn't know that Ronald though was into astrology back in his acting days in Hollywood. I thought that of course it was on, he was. He lived in Hollywood. Well, I. You hear about Nancy being into it, though, but I just didn't know. It was eye-opening for me to realize that he was into it before she was. What was wild was, like, people were so, like, blinded by how good of a, a order he was. Uh-huh. That, like, it didn't matter what he did from a policy standpoint. They were like, he's a nice old man. Yeah. And that was, like, it, it shaded over everything else. Like, I mean, if you think about it, unemployment, Lebanon, Grenada, completely ignoring AIDS— Completely ignoring yeah. AIDS. People still liked him. They were like, well, he's a nice old man. It's it's wild. What? Oh, man. I can't imagine the policy decisions that were made because of... Yeah. The, of Miss Cleo? Yeah. Yeah. Of Quigley oh, Down Under in the yeah. Situation Room with oh, John man. Oates. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, here he comes. Wait, Quigley Down Under, is that Dingo H.O. Baby? <laughs> I don't know. It's Tom Selleck's in it, I think. Yeah, yeah. he is. I think it's Dingo H.O. Dingo baby. Ate my and then baby. he becomes friends with Gorbachev. Yeah, but first, hold on. So at the time, he was sworn in a second time on January 20th, 85, private ceremony at the White House. At the time, though, he was 73, and he was the oldest person to take the presidential oath. This record was later surpassed by current President Biden, who was 78 at his inauguration in 2021. Around this time, there is a trade he gets embargo. a polyp. Oh, yeah, and his colon. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and he signs an executive privilege to make Bush the uh, very first time in history uh-huh. to make the vice president the executive of the, the White House, uh, and it only lasted three hours because the surgery went swimmingly. Yeah. Uh, we should say as too, predicted by Miss Cleo. Oh, Miss yeah, Cleo, of course. Uh, Reagan, back in '81, he was the first serving U.S. president to survive being shot in an assassination attempt. I don't know if that's a first that you want as president. Wait, but he was the first one that survived. Oh, I guess I guess Teddy was shot after. Yeah, because he, was, he was running. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah. Okay, so there's Iran a trade embargo. Contra. Well, before that, there's a trade embargo against Nicaragua trying to undermine the Sandinistas. The embargo was later found to be in violation of international law. But yes, then he and Soviet Premier Mikhail Gorbachev meet in Geneva, Switzerland. Yep. And it's the... Reagan Gorbachev won. That's right. what I call it. Yeah. They they met, I think, like, what, four or five times? Yeah. yeah. And it Wasn't was, Gorbachev the one with the giant yeah. thing uh-huh. on his head? Yeah. Yeah, it's a birthmark. The first such meeting between the U.S. and Soviet heads of state since 1979. So it had No been real policy changes, but no. PR success. Yeah. In the summer of 86, uh, Reagan elevated Justice William Rehnquist to Chief Justice. It's the summer of 86. <laughs> Reagan but, elevated Rehnquist. <laughs> To be the chief justice, <laughs> and he nominated Antonin Scalia. Uh, Reagan and Gorbachev met again in Iceland uh, in October of 86, so that would have been Reagan and Gorbachev too. Yep. <laughs> and then a month later, so this is November of 86, he informs Congress that the U.S. secret... Right was- after November of 86, that would have been right after Rocky IV ended communism. Uh, so, for good. it was already over. Across the world. Yeah. Systematic communism. If I can change, and he can change... We all can change. <laughs> Hearts on fire, strong desire. A bum bum, bam, bum bum, bam. Yeah. That sounded like the beginning of Reagan and Gorbachev meeting in Iceland. Doom, doom. Ding, 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 ding. That's what it sounded like. Yeah. He informs Congress that we secretly sold arms to Iran in violation of federal laws prohibiting well, all North. Yeah. And basically, he secured a I- million dollars. Only 150,000 went to yeah. Iran. Yeah. The other 850 went to Contra, which is why we get the name Iran Contra. Yeah. The Contra and were the rebels that were fighting against the Nicaraguan Nicaragua, government. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, there were over $30 million of proceeds from these covert arms sales that got diverted. So they were in the Iran-Iraq war. They diverted this money to that. And I think Reagan continued to deny that he had any knowledge of it, correct? Was that was yeah, that, he basically was that like Did he, he not really know about it? So, well, no, probably not. But he basically like accepted blame while mm-hmm. also saying he didn't know anything about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Around the same time, yep. Nancy would not let up on trying to fire the chief of staff, Regan. Yes. And it boiled to a head on Air Force One when Ronald yelled, Get off my goddamn back, woman, <laughs> on the plane. Ooh. And like all of the staffers were shocked. Not Ronald really... the president, Regan the other guy. No, no, no. Ronald the president said that to Nancy. Like she was in his ear. Oh, like, about okay, oh. yes. About she was in his ear on Air Force yes. One telling him he should fire this reading guy. He should fire this reading guy. Yeah. And his response was screaming, Get off my goddamn back, woman. Which she should have seen coming. Yeah. <laughs> and all the staffers were like, didn't see that coming. Miss mm. Cleo didn't throw those cards out. <laughs> The scandal resulted in 11 convictions and 14 indictments within his the staff. The Iran-Contra scandal. Yes, yes. Yeah, it was but how much ratings, prison time? It was a ratings like boom, right? Because the, no. all of it was televised. It oh, was like, yeah. For the news coverage, his his popularity declined from, his approval rating went from 67% to 46 in less than a week. And in the middle of the hearings is when he gave the tear down this wall speech. 
It yeah, was in the middle it was, of the It was the next speech. June. Oh, You're right. Yeah. No, it was in the middle of the hearings. When he gave the speech, it was while they were still doing the hearings. It was after yeah. we knew about the scandal, but it was when Oliver Later. North was doing yeah. the hearings, like like the famous pictures of him like testifying in front of Congress yeah. was when he gave the <laughs> Mr. Gorbachev tear, tear down this wall. wall. Yeah, that was in West Berlin, five years after his initial first visit to West Berlin as president. This was on June 12th, 1987, where that famous quote came from. The full quote is, General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, come here to this gate. Uh, Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. It was in front of the Brandenburg Gate in Berlin, right? Sure. I think. Yeah, I believe you. Pretty significant. In December of 87, uh, the growing friendship between the two leaders continues to grow, and they meet in D.C., I think, for a third time now. And they signed a nuclear treaty, which eliminated this entire class of nuclear weapons. So mm -hmm. surprisingly, I think they only met with their translators without AIDS. And then they came out of well, this conversation. Because he ignored AIDS. Correct. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't exist to him. Gosh. That was so really great. Good. That was very well played. That was very well played, Blaine. <laughs> They came out of this meeting and shocked everyone, saying, we're going to eliminate nuclear weapons. And they're like, wait, what? So only they and the translators knew. All right. And to this day, to no this day. nuclear weapons. Yeah, exactly. So good job, Ronnie. <laughs> nice. Uh, it's May of 88 now, and he visits the Soviet Union for the first time, five years after calling it the Evil Empire. Side note, great Rage Against the Machine album. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Well, it's not as good as their original release. Yeah, but it's, correct. It's a, yeah. A journalist asked the president if he still considered the Soviet Union the evil empire, to which he replied, no, I was talking about another time, another era. Mm. So he kind of backtracked. Of course. Yeah. yeah. In August of 88, the Republicans nominated Vice President Bush and Indiana Senator Dan Quayle for president and VP. Famously can't spell potato, which we'll talk about, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize until uh, recently that Quayle was an IU grad. He graduated was it potato or tomato? Potato. It was potato. Okay. He had it. Yeah. It was definitely potato. He graduated from the law school at IU. Yes. That November, Bush won, and he was elected 41st president, defeating Democratic challenger Massachusetts Governor Michael Dukakis. Yeah. Their very first post-presidential address was 666 St. Cloud Road in Beverly Hills, and they had it changed to 668. Yeah. Was that Nancy who did that? Of course it was. I think, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Didn't really like that. I have a dad. fun fact about their house afterwards. Okay. And a pardon that he gave before he left. Okay. Uh, well, he leaves office in 89, and the home that I think you mentioned was out there in Bel Air, California. They also bought a ranch in Santa Barbara. And in November of 91, his presidential library was dedicated and open to the public. Five presidents and six first ladies attended the dedication ceremonies, making it the first time that five presidents were gathered in the same location. He delivered a pretty well-received speech in the 1992 Republican National Convention. He continued to speak publicly in favor of the Brady Bill, named after the uh, press secretary who... James Yes, Brady. James Brady, yeah, so who was involved in that assassination. Interesting side note for everybody that loves Reagan, for the reasons you love Reagan, the Brady Bill was a seven-day waiting period and background checks before buying firearms because Ronald Reagan famously did not believe people should own assault weapons. Hmm. Weird. Yeah. Yeah, timely and relevant. Mm -hmm. uh, he also lobbied for a constitutional amendment requiring a balanced budget, 
and the repeal of the 22nd Amendment, which prohibits anyone from serving more than two terms as president. I did not know if that. people would just care that much about the 22nd Amendment as they do the 2nd. <laughs> or any other amendment, honestly. Like, yeah. name, the, name the 7th Amendment. Yeah. Like, I dare you. Yeah. Like, you can't. You can't. Right. It's The 7th Amendment says that anything over $20 should be settled in a court of law. But you didn't know that because you're so focused on the 2nd. Yeah, it's, it's a thought-provoking. The Third Amendment is the one that says that you don't have to house military members in your house. And, I mean, Jenny breaks that one every day. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> Get her. <laughs> Get her. Uh, his final public speech occurred on February 3rd, 94, during a tribute to him in D.C. His last major public appearance was at the funeral of Nixon in April of 94. Later that year, now 83-year-old Reagan addressed a letter to the American people about his diagnosis of having Alzheimer's disease. In the years after that announcement, he largely disappeared from public view as Alzheimer's took its terrible toll on him. 2001, I don't know how old he is at that point, but he uh, falls and breaks a hip, underwent surgery. 90. Yeah. 2011, yeah. 2001. Yeah. Or 1911. You're right. He's, he's reaching 90 on February 6, 2001. He became only the third U.S. president after John Adams and Herbert Hoover to become 90 years old. Later that summer, his oldest daughter, Maureen, died at the age of 60 after a long struggle with cancer. And Reagan died of pneumonia on June 5th, 2004 at home in Bel Air. President George W. Bush, while speaking in Paris, called Reagan's death, quote, a sad hour in the life of America and declared June 11th a national day of mourning. There was a state funeral, several memorial services, and Ronald Reagan was eventually laid to rest in the underground vault of his presidential library in California. At the time of his death, Reagan was the longest-lived president in U.S. history, having lived 93 years and 120 days. He was also the first U.S. president to die in the 21st century. Jimmy Carter is going to break that, right? You think he will? Yeah. Oh, I think he's, he's on track to do it. Okay. Following uh, her husband's death, Nancy remained active in politics, particularly relating to stem cell research, trying to find hope for a cure of Alzheimer's that took oh. his life. Oh, she actually took the Democratic position while W. Bush was talking about embryonic stem cell research. She was actually over on that side, though she did, I think, support him in his bid for re-election, I think. She lived another 12 years and died on March 6, 2016, at the age of 94. The following day, President Obama ordered the flag to be flown at half-staff until sunset on the day of her burial next to her husband. Let's talk about his legacy, shall we? Let's dive in. Oh, big old breath. Yeah. <laughs> Overall, it's pretty mixed. What do you got? Let's, let's, let's... I mean, people either love him or hate him. Yeah. I mean... Uh, I, there's not I, I I've I've yet to meet people that are like yeah Reagan yeah yeah I know people that like especially like people that lived through the gas crisis of Jimmy Carter think sure. that he was the greatest thing since sliced bread because yeah. gas prices went down for one and there's also the oratory and like freedom yeah. and all of that like the make America great again was his slogan it was that was originally where it came from was Ronald Reagan's second running for president. Got it. Was it. Make America Great Again because we were fighting drugs and AIDS and all of these things. And if we make America great again, they just magically go away. Mm. It's it's a pretty mixed uh, bag. So oh, you know, punk rock music. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Without, for... without Reagan, there is no punk. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Like, yeah. yeah. So on one hand, you know, the nation is enjoying 
the longest recorded period of peacetime prosperity without a recession or depression. Okay. However, no, peacetime. However, Nicaragua, Lebanon, yeah, Grenada. Okay. I guess no full-fledged war. Okay. Yeah. However, Panama. by the end of the decade, the richest 1% of Americans had 39% of the nation's wealth. So, the ni- the 80s, I mean as as This is where we see it shift. I mean, some yeah. of it is Gordon Gekko's fault. Yeah, it is. Yeah. During his presidency, Reagan escalated the military budget while slashing funds for domestic programs that helped working-class Americans. So one of the big things that he cut was subsidies for low-income housing, mm-hmm. which— And he cut the tax of the rich. Yeah, he that was the whole Reaganomics thing, right? Yeah. It was yeah. slashing— Trickle-down economics, which slashing is a ton still of yet the, to be proved that it works. Yeah. It doesn't— uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but, like, when did the welfare mother— thing happened back before he ever yeah. ran for governor okay. of that, was like about that? that was the speech okay was that when he was like was... stumping for Goldwater. yeah 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 the welfare mother was yeah yeah okay totally um, made up you totally made up they ended up like finding one woman that they could like put on the pedestal to say this is the woman yeah and, like totally ruined that woman's life yeah yeah his 84 landslide victory was a turning point for the democratic party as well because they realized we cannot win on a traditionally liberal platform. We need to shift this. And yeah. really, 84 led the way to the Democratic Party pushing more of a centrist platform, which really ushered in the way after H.W. Bush's one term for Clinton to come in with this fresh, younger approach to the Democratic platform. To being a Republican disguised as a Democrat. Uh, and. If you love wearing your Reagan Bush 84 shirt to the Indy 500 and you think you're really cool, just know he hated assault weapons. He called them assault weapons. I know you guys don't like calling them that. And, like, he's the reason why rent is so high. Like, he's the reason that rich people make so much stinking money hmm. and don't have any taxes to pay. Like, that 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 shift switched in his presidencies. The difference between, like, the top 1% and most Americans was not that large at the time and now i mean i really start to remember the 80s i was born in 81 i was thinking as we were talking earlier about smoking on flights i was trying to think if i could remember my first airplane flight i think i had to have taken one when we moved from the states to germany but that's beside the point but i was thinking my memories of the 80s the 80s were more for me trying to remember um I think I remember the image of Reagan, but I don't remember the politics of Reagan at all. I don't remember much about being a kid during his presidency. I mean, I, I remember he had to have been president, obviously, when we were in Germany, mm-hmm. you know, when we went through Checkpoint Charlie, when my dad, my dad didn't tell this story, but it's famous in the all work family lore. We're going through Checkpoint Charlie and my dad is in his Navy whites and we're in our Volkswagen camper. And he has his giant, like, suitcase-sized Betamax recorder on his shoulder. And the protocol is you're just supposed to put up, if you're American, you're just supposed to put up your passports on the window of your car, not make eye contact, and just drive through. Well, I'm looking around as, like, a five-year-old kid, like, what's going on? I don't, I don't understand any of this. And my dad... What's going on? What's going on? <laughs> yeah, what's going on? Dad has this Betamax camera on this guard at Checkpoint Charlie in his Navy whites. Like, what are you going to do? So there's a little bit of safety. What is Checkpoint Charlie? 
It's where the uh, it's when the when the Berlin Wall was still up. It oh, was to okay. go from east into West Berlin okay. and vice versa. Yeah. Does he still have that video? I don't know. He's he's got like twenty seven Betamax videos. Knowing we, L, he does. Does he have a Betamax? It's just player? called Europe Travels. Yeah. Yes, he still has a Betamax. We yeah, need to get him sure. digitized though. That yeah. would be cool to see. Yeah. But um, I don't know. What do you guys remember about Reagan growing up besides the stuff that we talked about? Like in, within your I was world. I was born in eighty five. So okay, nothing. Mm. Yeah. My parents weren't big fans. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I remember, I don't know. I remember 60 minutes. I mean, I yeah. don't, I don't remember a whole lot about it except yep. that they weren't big fans. Yeah. And the air traffic controller. Yeah. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Strike. Um, so little known facts. Yeah. Well, first, you know, we go through this C-SPAN presidential historian oh, yeah. survey. He currently sits He's, at number nine. Yeah. Below JFK and above Obama. Once again, he was, I mean, he spoke his way to popularity. Yeah. Great order, uh, or effective order. Let's say that. Yeah, yeah. Um, this really bothers me. Uh, <laughs> really, that really bo- he's number nine. Number nine. Yeah. Obama. Okay. Yeah, Reagan's the Who reason. Who else is he above? I mean, uh, I can pull it up really quick. Finish this sentence. Ronald Reagan's the reason the United States of America. Dot dot dot. I, man, what do you think? You can go a lot of different ways. I don't, hmm. I was going to say has a war on drugs, but the war on drugs was really started before Reagan, right? Well, but he's the one that coined the phrase. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I think Nancy did, but. Dare. Dare, yeah. 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 Uh, Had a more centrist shift in the Democratic Party in the 90s. Uh, Had a stronger military. Or Cleared a Hollywood military. of communists. Okay. Millions of people died because of AIDS because of him. Mm-hmm. I'm really looking for, I was, I was hoping in this episode that like, I was going to be very open to any kind of positive, anything. And I haven't been able, I haven't heard anything positive yet. Is there anything positive? I I mean, end of the cold war. All right. But Um, Russians did that to themselves, I guess. Yeah. But you know. They did that to themselves. He laid the groundwork for that. Well, you could go back to several presidents who laid the groundwork for the end of Cold War, but he was really pivotal in it. Let me let's just play with this a little bit. Would we have Donald Trump without Ronald Reagan? No. Nope. Okay. Not even close. Go ahead. Let's let's unpack it. You you answered pretty quickly. No, I don't. I don't think so either. I don't. I, I I also agree with you. I don't think we would without Reagan. I mean, it's it's a carbon copy. Like, he took his campaign slogan. Yeah. Like. Well, also, Trump was benefiting. And from the red hat. The red hat was a Reagan thing, too. Was it? Yeah. Was it? Yeah. The red hat society, those ladies are the worst. <laughs> <laughs> now my, we're getting a big Facebook thing. My deceased great aunt was a member yeah. of that. They do a lot of things. Established society. How'd she tip? Not at yeah. all? Yeah. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think we would have Trump without Reagan as well. Yeah. I mean, uh, just the reality of the situation. I mean, Trump had to benefit so much from yeah. the, the tax cuts that were in place with oh, Reagan's yeah. presidency. Not to mention just the underpinning of like the let's remember how it was yeah. type thing yeah. that a lot of people, you know, just hid for a long time because they weren't allowed to say it out loud. Sure. Okay. Okay. Little, little known facts. facts. All right. Here we go. So he and Nancy were actually in a movie together back in the day. They filmed one movie together. Uh, it was called Hellcats of the Navy in 1957. Oh. So there you go. Uh, his last movie role was in 1964. 
called The Killers. It was based on an Ernest Hemingway story. It was his final film, but it was his first time ever playing a villain in a movie. And it was the first ever made-for-TV movie, but it was considered too violent for TV, and it released to theaters instead. Huh. It's kind of a little-known fact within a a little-known fact. There's a lot there. Yeah. He was the first president elected as president to have been divorced. Yep. Oh. Can you name the second? Trump. There you go. Yeah. There should have been a lot of others before <laughs> yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. He had lost partial hearing in one ear when he was hurt on a movie set in the late 30s after Chimpanzee. a gun was fired next to his ear. What'd you say? Chimpanzee. Chimpanzee. Yeah. <laughs> Chimpanzee fired the gun. In 1983, he yeah. admitted to using a hearing aid. And sales of hearing aid equipment soared because at that point there was a stigma attached to a hearing aid. But when the president says, hey, I'm a user. (laughs) (laughs) Starkey Laboratories, which made the president's device, quadrupled its sales in the months. Stark Industries. Following his his announcement. He began snacking on jelly beans in 1966 after he gave up pipe smoking. Go, Golitz, Galitz or Golitz candy, which <laughs> made his preferred jelly bean, sent him shipments when he was governor of California. What? Oh, do we know the flavors? Uh, his favorite flavor was licorice. Oh, oh, I'm out. Of course it was. I'm out. He's yeah. the worst. Oh my gosh. He's the worst. He, he enjoyed the, uh, the licorice black jelly beans. What? He even sent them to space. Or tried to. Yeah. He he had them aboard. I would the, too. He had them aboard the Challenger. Yeah, that's where all he, whoa, black liquors. Oh, he had them aboard the Challenger. Yeah. Okay. Oh. He sent them up with the astronauts. You know, Big Bird was supposed to be on the Challenger. I did know that. Yeah. 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 My sister remembers seeing the Challenger explosion happen. I, I was too young for it, but I saw it. I was in class. Yeah, I remember it. In June of 2009, President Obama created the Ronald Reagan Centennial Commission that planned activities for the 100th anniversary of the late president's birth. Obama said Reagan's optimism was needed during a difficult time of economic and global challenges. Quote, that was powerful, that was important, and we are better off for the extraordinary leadership that he showed. Okay. Uh, He had never had jelly beans before. <laughs> I don't know. Like, had they always question. been his favorite? And, and he I, was like, licorice, this is great. This was is that the only one he had ever something? had? I don't know. I, I, <sighs> I mean, he uh, <laughs> he was probably aware of their existence, but maybe I don't know. The thing, I don't know. Maybe he didn't. I don't it's know. Like, what JFK didn't know about the Great Depression. Yeah. Jelly beans sure. had been around since the Civil War. I didn't yeah. know that. They uh, And it takes a long time to make jelly beans. Yeah. The process. It takes like three weeks to make. I heard you can repair bullet holes with them. Yeah. You need a jelly bean to make a jelly bean. Uh, His his library is the largest of the 15 federally operated libraries for presidents that house the millions of papers from presidents Hoover through Trump that are overseen by the National Archives and Records Administration. Um, Do you guys have any other little known facts? I've got two. Okay. Go for it. He granted George Steinbrenner a pardon before leaving office for illegal corporate contributions to Nixon. George oh. Steinbrenner, famous for his role in Seinfeld as George's boss. Yeah. yeah. Um, I held the door for him at a steakhouse in Tampa one time. Oh, was he, it a Shula's Steakhouse? Uh, no, it was the Tampa oh. Bay Yacht Club. And he came in wearing a uh, like a satiny... His kids uh, went Yankees. to Culver Military Academy here in Indiana. Yeah. Uh, also, the only other little-known fact I am, he was famously the neighbor of the Bankses in Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. They used to talk about it all the time. Yeah, the Reagans were their neighbor. Right. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. So huh. 668, uh, what? 668 St. Cloud Road. So they might be uh, right next door to. Yeah. yeah. Huh. That's cool. Uh, well, friends, thanks for listening. Our next episode on 41st President George Herbert Walker Bush is going to be released on Wednesday, August 17th. 2022 but you can get it early and ad free when you become a patron of our podcast at patreon.com slash presequential and connect with us on social media let us know what you thought about the episode and it always helps get the episodes into new listeners ears when you leave a review wherever you're listening thanks a lot for listening to episode 40 the actor 